Parent Reform. Reforming the parent, transforming the child. Welcome to the Parent Reform Podcast. Our mission is to inspire, encourage, and equip you to raise your children for the glory of God. The Bible gives us the principle of sowing and reaping because I think it's clear we get it. You don't have to be a farmer to understand that if you want to harvest corn, then you better plant corn seeds. You generally harvest what you plant. Plant corn, you get corn. Simple. So why did we need that reminder in the scriptures? Well, I think it's because we can oddly find ourselves hoping for corn while we're actually planting bean seeds. Or possibly worse, we're planting briars and poison ivy while hoping for a harvest of food. Either way, we do seem strangely capable of disconnecting our actions from our intentions. We do one thing while hoping for something else. We hope to live a long, healthy life while we eat poorly. We sleep too little and seldom break a sweat and exercise. Strange. Over the years, we've interacted with many Christian parents, parents of all spiritual maturity levels, those very young in their faith and some very mature. I think one thing that we've seen as a pretty universal is what they all want for their children. So, Christian parent listening to this podcast, let me ask you, what is your deepest hope for your children? In your heart of hearts, what do you desire for them? Like those parents we know, I trust most will respond with, well, to be Christians, of course. And not Christian merely in name only, but having genuine salvation. And a salvation that produces a Christ-like character, which produces fruit. Fruit? What do we mean by that term? In Matthew chapter 12, we see Jesus confronting some of his hard-hearted opponents. At one point, he says to them, You can know if a tree is good or bad by the fruit that it makes whether it produces good fruit or bad fruit. He is telling them it's really easy to tell who's good and who's evil because what people say and do is simply the overflow of what's inside of them. It's a reflection of what's inside of their hearts. That was easy for them to understand because everyone knows bad fruit was worthless and good fruit is to be highly desired and valued by everyone. A tree that produces bad fruit is well known and is avoided. He didn't bother listing the kinds of fruit that he was talking about. It wasn't necessary. They knew what he meant. And I think so do we. But just to be sure, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul spells out the kind of fruit that a human heart can produce. First, what is the bad fruit? What does it look like? Galatians 5 verses 19 through 21 tells us, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Well, that's a pretty toxic list of vices. I don't think anyone would want to see any of that in their kids. Even if I went to the state penitentiary and asked the inmates, whether male or female, would you like anything in this list to be true of your own children? The majority of those answering truthfully would have to say no, And probably some would not just say no, but heck no, and probably use a more colorful word there than heck. Well, that's the bad fruit. So what about the good fruit? What what does that look like? Reading on a little further, verses 22 through 23 tells us, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If I ask those same prisoners about that list, 
I'm not sure that they would be as enthusiastic about wanting these for their kids. I think part of Satan's lie to the world is that there is some kind of a middle ground to be found between downright evil and godly righteousness. Righteous just sounds like way too much work. Plus, it sounds pretty boring. Anyway, I trust those listening here would want none of the first list and all of the second for their progeny. We should want that because we're saved from wrath and damnation and hell, but we're also saved to do good works. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amazing. God designed for us to be saved and saved to good works before we were even born. So when Christians want their kids to be Christian, they should be hoping to see them saved from the wrath of God and saved from that list of evil fruit, but they should want to see them saved to the list of good fruit. And now let me ask again, what do you hope for your children? Are you sure you understand what it is you're hoping for? And if so, if it's to be Christian, then what's the harvest that you want? And what seeds are you now planting to get that harvest? You know, it seems any meaningful journey will begin with a destination in mind. Otherwise, it's not really a journey. It's just aimless rambling or wandering about. So for the parenting journey, what is the destination we're holding in our minds for our children? If that they grow to become genuine, fruit-bearing believers to achieve some measure of Christ's likeness, fine. But specifically, what does Christ's likeness actually look like? C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity wrote, Now, the whole offer which Christianity makes is this, that we, if we let God have his way, come to share in the life of Christ. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. According to many Bible scholars, technically the term Christian originally meant little Christs. The point is that desiring children to be Christians is actually hoping that they become little Christs. So, if the destination of our parenting journey is making our children little Christs, by God's grace, how will we know we've succeeded? That we've actually arrived at the intended destination, or rather, that they've arrived? Well, let's think about Jesus' life and his ministry on this earth. What did he do? Where did he go? With whom did he choose to spend his time with? Whose interests did he serve? I mean, whose interests motivated him? Was it his own? Was Jesus celebrated? Was he cheered as he deserved in this life? Did he receive immediate fulfillment and achievement without having first earned it and paid the price? How did he spend his brief life? On himself or on others? Whom did he love? The wealthy? The powerful? The pretty? The popular? The perfect? When he was wrongly accused, insulted, and injured, was he rescued? Was he shielded or buffered? Did someone rush in to defend and protect him? Was he rescued and extracted from every difficult situation he found himself in? And wasn't obedience the very essence of his every motivation and action? Who did he obey? The world? The flesh? The devil? Of course not. He only ever did the will of his Father, who sent him to complete a mission. Given all that, what would we hope to see in our children as they reach young adults, as Christians, as they become little Christs? Well, let's look at Christ. What was he like? He was obedient and submitted to authority. He was respectful, meek, and discreet. He was a servant. Though he was a king, he chose serving. 
He loved his enemies and died for them. He recognized God in everything and was grateful. He was generous. He gave away love, mercy, healing, and salvation. He gave himself away. He spent himself on others. He was never afraid for lack. He never had scarcity thinking. He always thought in terms of abundance. He was patient. He endured others' weaknesses and neediness. He accepted God's timing and program for his life. He trusted in God and his promises for justice. This could go on and on, but I think you see the point. Who was Jesus? That's what we're aiming at. Well, if that's the description of the destination, what would the journey leading to that extraordinary end be like? How is our desire for our kids' Christ-likeness practically connected to their lives leading up to their ultimately leaving our home? I'm afraid that far too often there's a massive chasm between what a parent is hoping for in their children and what they hope their children turn out to be as adults and how they treat and nurture their children. It's ironic. We want spiritual fruit, and I believe parents genuinely do want to see spiritual fruit in their children, yet they are sowing carnal, earthly seeds into the fields of their children's hearts. How can that be? What are we thinking? Outside of a dramatic work of mercy and rescue by God, why would we possibly expect that raising our children in worldliness and child-centeredness could possibly ever produce gentle, loving, self-denying servant adults reflecting Jesus? If we're not careful, we can find ourselves robotically programming our kids just like the world does, celebrating them for mediocrity and nothingness, exempting our children from service and hard work, isolating them into just-like-me groups to learn disdain for those who are different from themselves, encouraging self-indulgences in entertainment, food, and amusement, watching over and pampering them, hovering like a helicopter to protect and insulate them from any discomfort or injury, constantly giving to them and providing for them without their ever being grateful, content, or satisfied. When we treat our children like this, are we preparing them for a lifetime of taking up their cross and following Jesus? Are we strangely sowing to their flesh while hoping for a spiritual harvest? It seems we may unintentionally be pointing them to Christ with our words while crafting them to the flesh with our parenting. Unfair. When we expect and tolerate behavior in our kids that is wildly out of step with good fruit and Christ-likeness, we are doing them no favor. We're really doing them a disservice. It's not easy, I know. It takes great effort for parents to guide children into the pattern that Jesus left. It takes great effort for ourselves. It takes a lot of self-control to trust God, follow Him through His Word, and resist the patterns of the world, especially in our parenting. We need biblical words coupled with sincere matching actions. We must train our children in a way that matches Scripture and is reinforced by our own example. Our own living testimony will either serve to amplify or dampen our efforts. Calling a child to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus sounds hollow from a parent not plausibly striving to do the same thing. If we're not showing them what that means by demonstration, we indict ourselves. We're actually saying to them, don't be like me. So, as we begin to close out here, what are some takeaways and encouragements that we can leave you with? First, what should be our objective? In the simplest terms, we want to avoid cultivating carnality in our children and instead cultivate the kingdom of God, and in not only their lives but also ours, so we can set a consistent example for them to follow. 
How are you doing? How are you cultivating your children to become good trees that produce good fruit? Or are you cultivating bad trees while still hoping that somehow they'll still produce good fruit? Here are some thought exercises for you to help evaluate that question to help you see whether you're doing things counterproductive to your ambitions for your children, and if you are, a few ideas to change that. First, how do you celebrate birthdays and Christmases or special occasions? After one of these special events, are your children marked by gratitude, humility, and satisfaction? Or are they left unsatisfied, still asking for more and looking for the next getting opportunity? Next, think about the last time you saw your child disadvantaged, possibly cheated or fairly unfairly treated. How did that make you feel? How did you react? Did you feel the mama or papa bear reflex come out to defend and protect your cubs? It's easy to go there. That basic urge is rooted in our desire to protect our loved ones. But we have to make sure we control our urges and think biblically about each circumstance. We want to not see each hardship our child faces as something to be avoided or fixed. Instead, think about how you can use it as a biblical, heavenly teaching tool or object lesson for your child. How did you help your child process those situations when you look back? Did you give them thoughtful, God and others oriented counsel, or did you criticize, take sides, and attack others, with your child all the while listening and learning from you? Now, what about your child's involvements in sports, academics, music, and other activities? What's the objective for all of that? Why are you having them participate? And how? To win at any cost? To gain recognition and self-confidence through achievement and superiority over others? Take some time and reflect on all your hopes and dreams for your child. If your child achieves all that you have in mind, will they really be better equipped to serve the kingdom of God or better equipped to serve the kingdom of self? And finally, how are you doing yourself? Are you living with an eye toward eternity? Do you number your days? Do you remember that we have no guarantee of tomorrow? Are you loving others, serving others because of your love for Christ? And if you are, are your children being included in that mission while they're in your home? Are you setting a genuine example of what you hope for for them, striving to live what you want them to one day live? Okay, right here is a place where we can all feel a bit like failures. Yep, me too. But be encouraged. The remedy for that feeling is not retreat or to declare defeat and give up. No, instead, we should turn to the Word of God and trust. Repent where we should and believe in the promises of Christ. Let's put our shortcomings behind us and press onward and upward toward our high calling in Christ. 2 Corinthians 3 verses 4 through 5 says, Such is the confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Christ has given us all we need, though at times it may not feel like it, I know. But regardless of our feelings, it's true. It's certainly what we've seen over a lifetime. Please believe it and strive to live it. You can't always make all the changes you might want overnight. But we can begin to change our minds right now. Once we've changed our minds our actions will naturally tend to follow little by little. Just begin that process right now. Thank you for listening. We hope you found this podcast helpful as you seek to parent your children well for the glory of God. For more information about Parent Reform, please visit our website at parentreform.com. 
There you'll find more parenting resources. You can also sign up for our newsletter and Q&A emails. 